So, Lord, we thank you for this afternoon again. Thank you for the songs that we sing. Lord, thank you for the many expressions of worship that many different cultures offer up to you. We just got a glimpse, a very small glimpse of one cultural expression that gives the praise and honor due your name. And I just pray that all of us, all of who we are, would be given to your worth and to your name and that we would just explore all the different ways that we can express your value and your worth that surpasses anything else we pursue because you pursued us. Help us, Lord, uh, hear your word and hear your compassion and your love for us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, a few of us walked around and we were on Central Zuni area. And I know some of you have um, walked around that our, our area, our neighborhood, our town, and others have visited other parts of Albuquerque. And through your life, you've experienced other parts of this city. And when we walk out into the world and we have eyes to see, sometimes we see unpleasant things. Sometimes we see a lot of pain. Sometimes we see a lot of hurt. Sometimes we see a lot of just weariness. This morning I saw a lot of weariness. A lot of people waking up from maybe living um, a night on the street. A lot of, um, a few women with black and blue eyes and just waking up tired. And we were able to just meet and talk and be blessed as we did. But I want to ask you a question. If Jesus showed up in our neighborhood walked the streets of Central and Zuni in the morning, or if he showed up in a context that you might be thinking of where there's pain and there's brokenness and there's hurt, what would change? What would Jesus do? Like, how, how do you think he would, what would happen if Jesus walked the streets this morning? What was that? He would heal. Yes, he would. Robert. That's a great point, Ron. Yeah. What are we thinking? Jesus floating on a, like a white robe, kind of floating through the streets? Probably uh, looks. Yeah. And a nice beard. Don't forget about that. Liam. Yes, sir. Yes. Healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving them. Yeah, it's an interesting question to ask, right? What would, what would my life look like if Jesus showed up in my home? What kind of relationships, what would that do to the relationship? What would it look like if Jesus showed up on my street? What would it look like if he entered my life? What would he heal? What would he say? I think it's a good question. You got one more, Liam? heal people? Yes, he would. Someone uh, in our community said this weekend, we were in Phoenix, and uh, she said this. She said, I believe that Jesus, when we, when he, he's calling out three lies. Can I give you credit? Susan, Susan, because she said this, and I'm quoting you, so tell me if I got it wrong. But Jesus is, is confronting three lies. The lie of isolation, the lie of fear, and the lie of hunger. And we can, we can call those out in different ways. Did I get that right? Did you say anything else? Yeah? The kingdom of God confronts 
isolation and brings to it belonging. Confronts fear with love and welcome. He confronts um, hunger with fullness. Hunger for relationship. Hunger, literal hunger, with food. When Jesus shows up, he confronts what is broken in the world, and he brings shalom or peace. And we've seen that through, we're just finishing our series on Matthew 8 and 9. We've called it Kingdom Encounters. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter the kingdom of God. And when we encounter Jesus, we encounter healing and wholeness and belonging and welcome and family and all of these things that we've seen as he's interacted with each and every person. We've seen him interact with a leper, an untouchable, and step towards him. And he said, I am willing and able to heal you. We've seen him interact with a centurion, a Roman uh, a tool of the Roman Empire, an oppressor. But Jesus took the time with him and healed his servant. We've seen him invite tax collectors and sinners to eat with him at the table and people being transformed, and he sends us off to do the same. We've seen him calm the sea and rescue people from a storm that was threatening to end their life. Everyone, there's 10 miracles that we have uh, studied and looked at in the life of Jesus, and we've approached it in different ways, but every time we see Jesus crossing boundaries that often we're not willing to cross and creating bridges where we're not always willing to create bridges, and he brings a healing across those bridges. When he crosses those boundaries, there's belonging and there's peace and there's wholeness. And so we're going to wrap up the series with the final passage of this um, scripture. And here's my Bible. You can look up Matthew 9, uh, starting in verse 35. And we're going to go through 10, 1. Man, I'm so lost. Here we go. And it's also on the screen if you want to read it. This is just after Jesus has healed two blind men and a mute man. And now we talked about that last week a bit. And now Jesus, it says in verse 35, went through all the towns and villages. What would it look like if Jesus came into your neighborhood? He came in teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Some diseases and sicknesses, every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. What does it look like when Jesus shows up in your neighborhood? He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God and he heals every person dealing with sickness He has compassion on those who are helpless and harassed. And he commissions people to join the work and empowers them to carry it out. So we're going to look at first, verse 35. Jesus proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of what? The good news. Yes, gospel means good news. 
Good news about what? The kingdom. See, somehow, sometime, we started just referring to the gospel as the gospel is good news. And then we attach different things to it. But over and over again, Jesus' message is good news about something. And it's about his kingdom. And somehow we've, we've forgotten it. But let me show you how central this is to our faith and to our following of Jesus, to our discipleship. First, he comes on the scene, Mark 1, 14 through 15. He comes on the scene, and he, um, this is after John's put, put in prison, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. His message is the kingdom. With his arrival is the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God coming in to our present space-time history. And he's announcing this is good news. He's announcing this is good news, and the good news is the kingdom. Let me read to you a prophecy in Isaiah 61. This is incredible. Isaiah 61, this is referring to the coming king, the anointed king that will usher in the kingdom of God that is hoped for by Israel. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty Instead of ashes, you would throw your ashes on your body when you were lamenting and grieving loss and death. He's going to bring beauty for the ashes. He's going to bring the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Do you think our housing initiative has anything to do with the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom? That, that we say that the good news includes the rebuilding of ancient ruins, the things devastated by sin and death and disease and destruction and injustice. And so this prophecy is that when the kingdom of God comes, things are being rebuilt. Things are renewed. The blind are given sight. The physical and spiritual bondage we're in is broken. That's what we're looking for. This is what all of Israel is looking for. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus shows up in Nazareth, and he walks into a synagogue. And they hand him a scroll. And he unrolls the scroll. They didn't have like a Bible bound. They had scrolls. And he unrolls the scroll. And everyone's looking at this guy. Who is this guy? He unrolls the scroll and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Is this sounding familiar? Because he has anointed me. That's kingly language. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you're really paying attention, was there anything different from this one, Luke 4 and Isaiah 61? Did you notice anything different? I'll give you a clint, a clint, a hint. Yes, I won't give you a hint. Go ahead. It does not have the vengeance part. Weird. 
Jesus, yeah, and he ends up getting crucified, right? Just like you're saying. But Jesus absorbs the vengeance of humanity. He doesn't come bringing vengeance. It's interesting. He leaves that part out. Just a side note. We can talk about it later. It's got implications that I'll flesh out. But here's the deal. Jesus comes into the sea, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to release to the captive and the prisoner. And that's exactly what we see him doing. Not just in a spiritual sense, right? He's not just saying, I release you spiritually. I open your eyes spiritually. He's actually literally healing physical blindness, right? And, and bringing wholeness and healing. The, the year of the Lord's favor is the word jubilee. It's an Old Testament um, practice that God said, you, you as the people of God need to practice this. And every 50 years, every seventh seven years, so every 49 years, they would return the land to everyone who had, to its original owners. It was like a leveling of all of society. If you bought land or sold it or whatever, you get it, you give it back, and it goes all the way back to zero because, to keep everything level. Interesting. Again, interesting. So Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Here's another thought. Matthew 4.23. This is right before the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over Syria. The people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Again, Matthew eleven two through 5, John the Baptist asks a question. He's like, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? He sends his disciples. He said, are you the anointed one? Are you the one who's to come to bring this kingdom of God, God's rule and reign to bear on earth? And Jesus says, hey, come here. I'm not going to use words. I'm going to demonstrate this. Look what it is. Jesus replied, go back to John and report what you've seen. And what you hear, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. I say all that because it's in the text, proclaims the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom. But somehow we separated good news from the kingdom and the arrival of the kingdom. The good news is about the kingdom of God, which includes deep forgiveness and healing of everything that we have done to offend God and to separate ourselves from God, to separate ourselves from one another. We are forgiven, wiped clean by the blood of Jesus, washed white as snow. He offers us forgiveness, but that's not where, that's just the beginning of the gospel of the good news. The good news is the kingdom of God that comes in and rushes through and proclaims good news to poor, suffering, blind, broken, hurting, confused, harassed, neglected people. Good news of the kingdom of God because the good news is that there's a new king that's broken in, the rightful king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And under this king's rule, all oppression shall cease as we sing at a Christmas hymn. The arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the kingdom, the arrival of the kingdom is the good news to all who suffer under the weight of sin and the fear of death. So he comes, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. All right? And look at this. Oh, I don't have it. Next, oh, we'll just go back right here. Jesus in verse 36. Now he starts healing the sick. 
And I almost kind of imagine, like, I don't know what happened. Like, if he starts, kind of moves, and maybe his sight was obstructed, or he took a walk, and it's just like he sees this massive crowd of people. And he's like, whoa. It's almost like, you know, you're healing people, and you're, you're, it's, you're hard at work, and he's healing and interacting and giving his all to people. And then he looks up, and there's just a mass of humanity. And it says he looked with compassion when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, a sheep without a shepherd. One of the I am statements of Jesus is, I am the good shepherd. He comes to bring comfort, healing, direction, comfort, home to this lost sheep. So Jesus has compassion, and I want you to hear this. Not as a detached observer, not just saying, oh, Jesus looked on them with compassion. But I want you to say, I want to say that Jesus looks on the crowd, on you, and he has compassion. He looks on you, and he has compassion. Jesus knows exactly your struggle your pain, your fear, your doubt, your addictions, your suffering. He knows it, and he has compassion on you. He looks on the crowds. He's still looking on us with compassion. You know the English word. We talked about it last week a little bit. That passion is from the Latin patior, which means to suffer. Jesus, and that calm is with Jesus suffers with us. That's one of the core understandings of the good news is that Jesus, the king, takes on flesh, takes on weakness, takes on pain and vulnerability, and he suffers with us. Jesus still has compassion on you, whatever that is, and he sees you. And here's the other thing we see in verse 37 through 38. He doesn't stop with compassion But again, he takes action, but the action is not a solo act. He has great compassion on the crowds, but then what happens? What's he do? He recruits to the mission. He recruits people to be on mission with God in the flow and the way of the kingdom. God has always been doing this. There's a doctrine called the missio dei, the mission of God. That God is ascending God. It's in his nature. It's in the core of his being to send and to commission and to invite, to participate in the good things he's doing. He does it with Adam and Eve right at the beginning, Genesis 1, right? He says, I'll give you dominion over this, and I ask you to steward the earth. It's not just me to do this and to make everything come and flourish. He says, Adam and Eve, use your gifts. Use everything that you have. Steward the earth. Nurture it. Grow it. Contribute your creativity and the gifts that you have. I'm on mission with you. Let's make this place beautiful. He does it with Israel, right? He calls Israel to himself to say, be a people that represents me, that proclaims good news to the world. Be a blessing as you're blessed. He says to Abraham, I bless you so you can be a blessing to the nations. Then he does it with the church. He does it here with the disciples, and he does it with the church. He calls us, he sends us, he commissions us to be on mission with God. He has great compassion for the crowds. He sees you, and he says, 
we're going to go on this redemptive mission together. So Jesus invites us and changes our hearts and actually enables us to have the compassion that he has. And he calls us to participate. So we have not just been saved from sin. If you follow, if you trusted in Jesus, you've not just saved from sin and death and decay and futility. You've been saved to mission and restoration and healing. And that can be scary. Like someone said, you walk, um, Moni, Ron, Ron, Moni, Ronnie, uncle, as he said, it can be overwhelming, right? You go into the streets. What am I supposed to, what? This is overwhelming. What? How can we? This, the issues are complex, just on an individual level. Then you break it out to a systemic level, and all the things that cause, bring about poverty and injustice, and the, all of this stuff. People are dying in the streets. Someone just this morning, the, as we, we went, we passed out burritos, and we were just engaging with people. The street that we just had passed, when we came back, it was covered with red tape, and someone had died right on the street this morning, right over here. It's overwhelming, and the task before us, the, the, the wages of sin is, is, is dark. So it can be overwhelming to be invited in. But here's the deal. In 10, verse 1, what does Jesus do? He recruits people to a mission, but he also empowers people for a mission. He gives his followers authority and power to do crazy stuff. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every, there's that word again, every disease and sickness. Now, for the longest time, I didn't take that seriously. I'm starting to take that seriously. I'm starting to believe that God is my father and that he has forgiven me of my sins. He's forgiven us of our sins and he's invited us to be a part of the family of God and that God is our father. And you know what happens when your father is the king of the universe? There's some bennies there. There's some benefits. And this is what he does. He says, I'm going to impart to you my power and authority to act in my mission, in the flow of my kingdom. And he empowers people with the authority and power. What's he say in Matthew 28? All authority and power has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. In Luke 10, you can look it up. He does the same thing. He, he, he does all these healings. And he says to the disciples, he says, I give you power and authority to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and to cast out demons. I don't think anything's changed. I think he's still, our, our dad is still the king, and our king is still inviting and recruiting us into his mission, and he empowers us with authority to move in his name. So if you think about this, what does it mean to do things in his name? In John 14, Jesus says, anything you ask in my name, you will receive. Now that, I'm not going to get into that, but he says, you ask for it in my name. What's he saying? If I give Ryan my credit card and I say, hey, go buy church or food for the church, I've given him the authority to do that. And in my name, my name is on that card and my bank account stands behind that name. 
And again, I'm not Jesus, so it's the, the, it breaks down there. But let's say I've got a million dollars. He's going to go, and when he, he's going to act on that. So he's been given the authority, but he executes it in faith in who I am and what I've commissioned him to do when he makes the purchase and he slides the card and bling, the funds are there. The funds of God's kingdom are there for the believer in Jesus. And he said, I give you the authority to act in my name, to flow in the the flow of my kingdom, and to pray for healing. And in my name, you can cash that check. It's not going to bounce. No, it's not. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But here's the deal. Let me ask this question, and then we'll we'll end up. We'll eat eat some food. We'll demonstrate some kingdom stuff. If that's true, why don't we see healing every single time we swipe the card? That's tough. That's real. That's a struggle. And that's why we tend to default to say, well, this isn't for us. It was for the apostles and it stopped, and we just are waiting for God to do stuff eventually. And that's hard, and it's real, and it's hard especially. He helps those who help themselves. But you know what? You know what's interesting, Therese? I think that can be true in certain contexts, but you know what? He, yeah, yeah, no, you're good. I appreciate you bringing that up. But what happens when all that we can do to help ourselves and try to help someone else falls short? We need God. We need God. And so here's the deal. Let me, this is how I'm wrestling with it. I'm not laying down like, uh, this isn't like gospel truth, all right? The gospel truth is, I think what I just laid down, that God brings healing. And he will ultimately bring full healing of the, all the world, all creation. But here's the deal. God, I believe, as we see in Jesus, is most clearly represented in Jesus, desires our healing and our wholeness and is making all things new in the world. That's who we see God to be in Jesus. We still see pain, suffering, evil, death in the world. And so here's how I'm thinking about it these days, and I'll get your input on that. Number one, why don't we always see healing And kingdom movement, when we pray and ask for it, here's number one. I think the enemy is real. There's a real enemy. I'm not saying the enemy is omniscient. I'm not saying he's omnipresent. I'm not saying he knows everything and is all-powerful. What I'm saying is he's got some teeth, and he's powerful. It says in 1 Peter, The devil, Satan, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. The mission of the enemy is to seek, kill, and destroy and to tear down anything that's healthy, anything that's whole, anything that's alive. And so I don't want to minimize, I don't want to maximize the power of the enemy. All right? I don't want to give him too much credit. I also don't want to minimize it. I think we have a real enemy, a real enemy. Also, I think... The brokenness of the world is real. Sin is real. That when Adam and Eve, when humanity fell and rebelled against God and sin rushes into the world, all creation experienced corruption. That's what we're told. And all creation groans for the revealing of Jesus and his return. So the brokenness of the world, death, 
sickness, sin, decay. It's real. And imagine all of our sins and all the sins of everybody else and all the woundedness of creation compiling, compiling, compounding, compounding, compounding to make this horrific web that we live in right now that includes people dying on that street for whatever reason this morning and the others that we don't know in addiction, in isolation, in loneliness. The sin in this world creates this horrific web. The brokenness of the world is real. So the enemy is real. The brokenness of the world is real. And the third aspect, we have to be careful with this, but our faith matters. Our faith matters. Now, we never, ever, ever, okay, in this community, we will never lay blame on someone who's sick. If they're not healed, we don't ever say, you don't have enough faith. You weren't healed because you weren't ever faith. That happens in communities, and that is not going to happen here. All right? We also, we don't blame anybody, but we say that it seems as we take the biblical testimony, as we see Jesus, and as he responded even last week, we looked at he responded to the faith of the woman with the issue of blood. As she reached out in faith, he responded to the faith of the friends. He said, your faith has made you well. He responded to the faith of the blind men. That's just here in Matthew 9. And so we, we look at that and we take it and we say there's something to believing that Jesus and his kingdom is about healing and that he's given us power and authority. So I think you take all three of those things and we have room to grow in our faith. We have room to grow in what we see. We say that we're in a battle. We're in a battle for our lives and for the lives of people that are dying on the streets even now. And so there's a real enemy. There's a real battle. And so we will fight. And I believe Jesus is recruiting citizens of his kingdom that are empowered to speak truth to lies, to speak kingdom truth to the lies of hunger and isolation. What was the other one? Fear. (laughs) Yes. And the kingdom confronts these. And we have the power and authority to cast them out. But it's not without a fight. And so in our community, we're gonna, we say this. We're going to pray. We're going to pray until the person is healed. Until the person loses the battle, dies. Until we die. Until Jesus comes back. Those are the four things. I made it sound like there's another one. Person is healed, person dies, we die, or Jesus comes back. We're going to pray. We're going to swipe the card, and we're going to lay hands on people, and we're going to pray like we have power and authority by the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to blame anybody, and we're not going to lose hope. We're going to press in to the kingdom power and authority we have. And let me say one last thing, and then I'm going to actually, what you guys can come on up if you want to sing one last song. But I want to say this, because I think in some communities that focus so much on healing, and I want us to focus more on healing and the authority and power we have. But here's one thing that I think can happen, is that we become, we're, let's say we're in the pit of our suffering and our sickness, our pain. We're in deep in this pit, and all we can think of is getting out. 
And we beg God, rescue us, rescue us, redeem us, pull me out of the pit. And that should be our orientation. I want to fight for that. But I also don't want to lose sight of the golden nuggets that are at the bottom of the pit. What I mean by this is that there's stuff happening, that God is with us in the pit, and he's bringing about stuff in our life that we can learn from. As things are taken away, as we suffer, as we experience pain, God is redeeming that. I don't believe he causes any of it. I don't think he throws us in those pits, but I believe that he works through it, as it says in Romans 3, and it says he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's working all things together for our good and for his glory. So don't miss the gold nuggets at the bottom of the pit because you're so focused about getting out. But I want you to pray to get out. We're going to pray as a community, but also we're going to say, hey, what's God doing until I get out? Does that make sense? So what I want to do is we're going to sing. We're going to do something a little bit different here. And we're pretty much right on time, so don't freak out about time. We're good. I want to give time for this. We're going to sing one more song. And I want to start walking in this a little bit. And at the beginning, I asked you, what does Jesus need to heal in your life? And I want, I want you to ask this question. If the kingdom of God showed up in my life, if Jesus showed up in my life, what would he want to heal? What would he want to address? What would he want to mend? I want you to turn that into a prayer request, a, a, a request of faith. What's that thing in your life that if Jesus came in, you would just say, take this, heal this? And I, wanna, I want you to do something a bit bold. As we saw last week, the woman reached out her hand <clears throat> and touched Jesus. The blind men followed Jesus. Heal me, heal me, heal me. And they went into the house, and Jesus said, do you believe? And they said, yes. And then he was healed. I want you to take some, a step. This is out of, out of our norm, but I think it needs to be in some of our norm here. So I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to be up here to pray um, with people, and I'm actually going to put Joanne on the spot here. I forgot to tell you, but I would like you to be up here. That, it's our anniversary today, so uh, yeah. So I've, do I have... I have a little mercy. I'll ask for forgiveness later. But, Joanna, if you could just be on this side up front. And, um, yeah, we just want to pray for you. And you just come up as we're singing. And, um, yeah, let's pray for a healing. Jesus looks out on you, and he has compassion. He looks to heal. Let's do that. <clears throat>